0: Uh, thank you, please be seated. When are we going to get off this text? I've been on it for quite some time. We're not quite ready yet. We're going to talk about one aspect again of what we discovered a couple of Sundays ago about being holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Holy and acceptable, that's a, that's a, a large subject for us to address in just one setting, one study. So we're going to look at it a little bit deeper again today in the area of sanctification, which simply means becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus. So, how many of you know that tonight is the Super Bowl game tonight, you know? How many are rooting for Denver? Can I hear anybody rooting for Denver? Just because uh, Kansas City didn't make it? I wonder if Kansas City made it into the Super Bowl if Mike would have canceled Discipleship University. What do you think? Pastor Mike, would you have canceled Discipleship University? No. No. He would have brought it, he would... (laughs) <laughs> He'd have been by himself or he would have called in sick. How many of you are reading from North Carolina anybody anybody at all from North Carolina got a few Got had a few who doesn't care about football. Absolutely whatsoever Can't figure out what the hype is about Yeah well, this is Super Bowl Sunday, so I have an interesting little tidbit, a little uh, interesting story about two men who were being seated at the Super Bowl game. About the time the game got underway, one of the men turned to the other and said, It's kind of surprising to see, after all these years, waiting for our team to finally get to the playoffs again, must be obviously a Denver fan, it's the hottest ticket in town, but there's an empty seat just to your left. Surprising to me, to which... The man then fessed up, he said, I can explain, you see, my wife and I were some of the first to buy the tickets when we discovered that Denver would be in the playoffs, but since we purchased our tickets, she has died. Well, that's terrible, the man replied, couldn't you have at least brought a friend to which he finally confessed, no, they're all at the funeral. If you laughed at that, you're sick. There's something seriously wrong with you. It's called depravity. Depravity causes us to yield to the power of sin. And it's a struggle that we all have in our day-to-day lives. We all struggle with depravity. We all struggle with sin. We are all selfish and self-centered. And self reigns and rules at the throne of our hearts and our lives, and it wants its way. I just spent two days with the almost one-year-old Owen Taylor Thomas, in, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and he is a beautiful, wonderful, gracious, gorgeous little guy, just like his doc, his grandpa, and when he acts like that, he's like his grandma. And he does act like that from time to time. The unfortunate thing is some of us remain toddlers in our senior adult years. And God is in the process of sanctifying those who are baptized, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. We all struggle with depravity. Before we were saved, we didn't care about sin. As a matter of fact... We indulged in sin freely, we indulged in sin happily, and we did not care at all about how much sin we committed or how our sin grieved God. But then, when we got saved, all of a sudden our relationship to sin changed once and for all. We're no longer the same when it comes to sin. We don't see sin the same way anymore. We don't have a love for sin or desire to sin. We don't indulge in sin. We have this preoccupation with trying to live a holy and acceptable life unto God. And that is what the Apostle Paul, through inspirational Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is encouraging now after all of these doctrinal positions that he has laid forth through verse The final verse of chapter 11, he's now saying this is how these doctrinal distinctives should make a difference in your life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as not only living sacrifices, but holy and acceptable unto God holy and acceptable. And there are times when we don't feel very holy and there are times we don't seem as if as we look in the mirror and examine our lives that we're very acceptable unto God because we know in our struggle post-conversion that even though we love God more than we love ourselves and and more than we love sin, that we live in a fallen world and we deprave people, that yes in fact we do sin. And so how do we present ourselves holy and acceptable before a holy and And just God. We talked about the importance of being holy two Sundays ago. Last Sunday, we talked about justification and how through salvation, once we come to faith in Christ, saving faith. Not just faith, but saving faith. Where we understand who Jesus is and we understand what Jesus did, we place our faith and trust in who he is and what he did. That saving faith then transforms our lives. It changes our lives. We then are seen by God as if we had never sinned before. He wipes the slate clean and as if we have never sinned, we are then justified. We are placed in a position not of our own doing, but simply by his doing and his alone. We are placed in a position of the righteousness of Christ, and he forgives us of our sin and cleanses of us our, of our sin, reconciles us into a right relationship with God, and then and forever, because of that redeeming, regenerational work of the Holy Spirit, our reconciliation with God is made possible, and we are no longer bound by the condemnation of our sin against God. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Justification, he Declares that we are then forever, forever justified, just in the sight of God. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ from that point on, from the moment of our salvation. However, just because we are saved and are justified doesn't mean that we stop sinning, does it? Does it? Just because you are justified doesn't mean that you stop sinning. Or we are in an auditorium filled with sinners. Most all of us are saints. Some of us are not. We've not placed our faith and trust in Jesus and accepted Him as our Savior and Lord. We, we've not accepted who He is and what He has done and placed our faith and trust in Him. We, we've not experienced saving faith. But the majority of us, I'm convinced, more than likely in this room, have experienced saving faith. But just because we've experienced saving faith doesn't mean that all of a sudden, once we are born again and the Spirit... Oh, Breathe breathe his pneuma, his life into us That doesn't mean that we walk away then From that encounter of the regenerational work of the Spirit of God Making us new, birthing us into a new life Doesn't mean that we walk out from that place Never to sin again We know that in spite of our salvation We still sin in our heart And we still struggle with our sin nature And we still struggle with temptation And there are times hopefully less than more, we give in to temptation and we sin against God. And then we wonder, how can I be presentable, holy, acceptable in God's sight, knowing that I'm still, even though I'm a saint, I'm a sinner. And how do I overcome this this sin nature within me? And while I love God and the things of God, I don't love sin and the things of this world. And I seek forever to constantly battle against that. But the reality is I do give in to sin. I do give in to temptation. I do sin against God. And I don't feel very holy. I don't feel very acceptable. And I wonder how is this whole process of my salvation working itself out to make me more holy and more acceptable to God. It's called sanctification. Justification. Justification where God declares you to be righteous, gives you a right standing before God, now he then begins to sanctify you, to cleanse you, to purify you, to help you walk a life that is holy and acceptable to God. How does that work? I want to look at that very quickly today. I'll take a look at it. You're going to have to write these quickly because I don't have a lot of time here to, to examine all of these points We're going to look at them a little bit closer in our study this morning And so if you can Write these down as fast as you can And I know that, that the writing is small That's why we're encouraging you to scoot up A little bit closer We've already parted the waters here Moses has come in here And parted the seas, seats And uh, The uh, the seat covers will eventually come and will encourage you and invite you to come on up closer. I can't spit that far, so you're, you're pretty close. Right? I haven't hit you yet, have I? Not yet. I'm working on it, though. Sanctification number one. It's a growing progression that begins at salvation. It is a growing progression that begins at salvation. The moment you are saved, God begins to sanctify you, to work in you, to his grace begins to move you toward the likeness of Jesus. It does not happen before conversion, but after conversion. Number two, it's a combined effort, first initiated by God and then joined by the Christian fulfilling his or her individual responsibility. While God does initiate the work, we are responsible and accountable then to yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he is then going to sanctify us. Number three, it is an ongoing effort, an ongoing effort to deliver the believer from the power of sin by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we then As we yield ourselves to God, gain greater victory over sin. We're going to talk about this power that is available and accessible to us next Sunday through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the only way that you can overcome sin is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in and of yourself. And once we understand that and we tap into that, we'll have greater victory over temptation and sin. Number four, it develops gradually over a lifetime. It develops gradually over a lifetime of the Christian becoming free from sin while being conformed to the likeness of Christ. It is a lifetime process. As long as you have life, as long as you have breath on this earth, you are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. It is an ongoing, gradual effort, little by little, sometimes Millistep by millistep, being slowly transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And lastly, complete sanctification never reaches complete maturity or completion while in this life. Although its progress is greater in some, it is less in others. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's less in you and it's more in me. That's where we have the complication here. Some of us have made more progress in our sanctification than others And you don't stand still very long There's a tide that we live in called the world And the world will squeeze you into its mold And seek to conform you to its likeness Temptations will come, self will rise And if we're not progressing forward, we can regress And so it's important for us to understand that while everybody is in the process, if you're in Christ, of being more sanctified, more holy, more acceptable to God, if he is sanctifying you to look more like Jesus, there are times in your life you'll make exponential growth, and there are times you you look in the mirror and say, I don't feel like I've made much growth at all. But yet growth is taking place. Because where there is life, there is growth. sanctification. Everybody got all that down? Yes? Go online, you can get it, and freeze the frame, okay? And uh, you can have it. So let's let's quickly look at the scriptures that I want to look at this morning. Sanctification number one is that it proceeds, it proceeds. At salvation, or it proceeds out of my salvation. In other words, there is a breaking point, there is a beginning point in which sanctification begins. In Romans six, verse eleven, it says, So you, talking to believers, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider, you must think, you must reflect, you must count yourself as someone who is in Christ. You are now, because you're in Christ, you are dead to sin. I've been to a lot of funerals in several decades of being a pastor and in ministry. I've never yet seen a dead person move, they're powerless. I remember a couple of years ago when uh, we we got word that uh, Osama bin Laden had been killed. What does that mean? He's no longer a threat to you. We are dead to sin. Sin is no longer a threat to the believer. He's dead. He has no power. He has no authority. Sin can no longer reign in you. It's been broken. The power of sin, the reign of sin has been broken. And now you are alive in Christ. Notice Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law, but now in grace. Well, you know, it sure seems like sin has dominion over me. Well, if you're saying that, you're either a non-believer are you a believer that's that's grossly in denial or not too savvy on what scripture has to say because in Christ the power of sin has been broken and sin is no longer dominant in your life. That means it has no power over you any more so than, than a death person has over you. A death person can't make you do anything. Sin no longer can make you do anything in Christ. The power of sin has been broken. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you were justified. You were regenerated. You were what Jesus called, and he said to Nicodemus, you were born again. Jesus says that he, he breathes pneuma, he breathes life into a dead body and it then rises from the dead and sin no longer has Before you were in Christ, sin had dominion over you. When you were an unbeliever, you couldn't resist the temptations of sin. You love to sin, you indulge in sin, and that sin led you to more sin and to more sin and to more sin. But now that you're in Christ, you love God and the things of God, and you no longer want to sin, and you now have power over sin because the power of sin has been forever broken in your life through the resurrected power of Jesus that has affected that relationship that you had with sin. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin, you're set free from sin. You're not constrained by it any longer. You have become slaves of God. You are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. Now, this pneuma, this new life that has been breathed into your body because, and your spirit, because of the, the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the outflow, what you get, the byproduct, is the fruit of sanctification it is the result of the new life that you have in Christ this sanctifying work only happens when someone places their faith and trust in Jesus and accepts him for who he is and what he has done they put their faith in him God breathes life into him and now we begin the work of the spirit we join God in that work we're we'll seeing in a minute by that responsibility that we have to yield to the work of the power of the spirit in order for sanctification then to have its effect. If you are in Christ, you are designed on God's, or by God's purpose to move into the area of being more and more like Jesus. It's, it's the purpose for why we were saved, to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And it begins at salvation. Number two, it proceeds at salvation, but it progresses after salvation. Once he breathes new life into you, and, and you begin this, this journey of sanctification, this, this inner and outer work of the Holy Spirit. He is conforming you into the likeness of Jesus. It is, it is a progression that should move you forward. It means that there should be progress. While in some, that progress has been more exponential than others, it should move all of us toward looking more like Jesus. Jesus, notice in Romans six nineteen, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now that you're in Christ, present your members as slaves to righteousness. As you submit yourself as a slave to righteousness, what does it lead to? It leads to sanctification. There's a process by which you are being led into the sanctification or the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God as you're yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and yielding to the obedience of the faith. Notice 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Not have been, but are being Transformed. You are in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ with each and every day that you live on the planet. As long as you have life and breath, you are to be moving, progressing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Now, why is this important? If you take a look at the the, the overarching sort of themes of the book of Romans... One of the themes is not only some of the doctrinal concepts about uh, salvation and justification and sanctification, but uh, in in chapters 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to make an important address to the Roman church and to the church, I believe, even today. For you see, there were some who, once they have read chapters 1 through 5, have concluded that because we're saved by grace through faith, and my salvation is eternally secure, then therefore, because I'm under grace, I can sin all I want and never lose my salvation. And grace is just going to continue to cover my indulgence to sin. Not only that, there were some who more than likely had reached the conclusion that because we're no longer under the law, I don't have to live obedient anymore. There's no constraints, there's no law. I, I'm not saved by my obedience, I'm not saved by keeping the law, because Paul said, I tried but I failed, and, and me, who was, you know, who was way up here in, in keeping the law, in spite of all of that I did, I couldn't measure up, and I couldn't save myself, and so some well, we can't save ourselves by keeping the law, so why should I strive to live an obedient life? Why should I care to live righteously? Why should I care to say no to sin? Why not just indulge it, and enjoy it, and live it up, eat, drink, and be merry, because every sin I sin. and and do is under grace. My my eternal security is secure. I'm once saved, always saved. I'm positioned permanently in the righteousness of Christ. There's nothing that I did to gain it and to earn it. There's nothing I can do to lose it. So let's just, just, just enjoy it. And the Apostle Paul says, No, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Why? Because living righteously leads us into sanctification. My obedience to the Word, my obedience to the Lord, my obedience to the Spirit in following the precepts and the principles that are in the Word of God, that obedience, not Gives me salvation, but demonstrates my salvation. But that obedience also then perfects me. It cleanses me. It takes away what doesn't look like Christ and it adds what should look like Christ. And it is progressing me with each and every act of obedience to look more and more like Christ. Righteousness leads to the work of God sanctifying your life so that you look more and more like Christ. What he said to the church then And I believe it's a message that needs to be said to the church today Because we've said You know I can't live up to this standard It's impossible So Let's lower the standard to a level that I can live it and Let's sort of Isolate some things that I want to enjoy Or some things that I'm not sure Are culturally acceptable So that when we lower the standard We can live to a level of acceptability So that you know That's, that's not what he's saying here Rise up to the level, to the standard that I have set. As unattainable as it is in this life, seek to live up to that standard. And as you do, as God adds and as God takes away in your life, you will be daily, decision by decision, moment by moment, yieldedness by yieldedness obedient step by obedient step you will in that process become more and more conformed into the likeness of jesus which is what i believe he wants to do with every one of us who are saved to progress to move forward into the likeness of christ once we are born into the spirit And that sanctification works. He wants us to progress, to slowly move more and more to be like Jesus. And the question is, how far have you progressed? And how has that progress been lately? Sanctification not only precedes salvation and progresses after salvation, but thirdly, it only is perfected when we die. I don't know about you, but that's discouraging news to me. The only way to get there is to die. I'm talking about physically, not spiritually. We're talking about physical death. As long as you have life, as long as you have breath, as long as you're on this planet, there's going to be a struggle for you to move, to wade through, to overcome, to you know, I mean, it's a, it's a battle. And it's a struggle. You don't live with me. I live with me. I know how hard it is. But you know how hard it is for you. It's no harder for me than it is for you. And this struggle, this battle, this war that is going on to to weed out what doesn't reflect Christ and to put in the concepts and, and things that do so that I can slowly begin as methodically and as carefully and as obedient as I can to be molded and to be shaped in this life to look more and more like Jesus so that when I die, it's not such a great big change. Some of us may get into heaven and they're going to look at us and say, wow, you look really different. Because there's not been much progress. But it only ends at death. Notice it says in Romans 8, 28, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Once you come to faith in Christ, he predestines you. It's part of his purpose and his will for your life to be conformed to the image, to the likeness. That image is the essence and the nature of Christ. To think as he thinks, to be as he is, to have the characteristics and the the whole concept of who Jesus is. I am to be molded and shaped and to be conformed into the likeness of Christ is an ongoing process. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from if we... And from, uh, I can't can't read this here, Uh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, that is, I've got a circle here under that around the word, we wait. And for it, we wait. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day will transform our lowly, lowly body into a glorious body. And everybody said, when are you going to have a glorious body not going to be here you know I don't care how how glorious you think your body is it ain't glorious stop looking in the mirror ladies it's not going to get any more glorious than it already is First John 3 2 beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared what you're going to be has not yet happened, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. Spent uh, two days with Owen, total. We left Thursday uh, around 11.15, traveled four hours to Springfield, Missouri. We got there about 4.30, had, some, had uh, lunch with uh, some people there from uh, the church that Aaron and Samantha and Owen flew to for a missions conference this weekend, and and we ate in their home, and it was always good to see little Owen. I mean, he's about to be one in a couple of days, and we've not seen him since November, and baby's changed so quick. And when we heard he's going to be four hours away, what do you do? You go. You don't get that many opportunities when he lives in, you know, the northern tundra of northeast Canada. So... Patty's not going during this time of year it, It's frozen up there uh, And so Man, four hours We're going to do it So we got in the car and we went And, and uh, you know you, You're looking at this little kid And we saw him last November And he's changed so much And you start looking at this little fella And you wonder who, he's, who he looks like You know what I'm talking about Does he look like his mama Or does he look like his daddy you see her parents in the child, or do you see yourself in the child? And, you know, you want to see yourself, but uh, uh, she's a beautiful lady, and she has a beautiful family, and so it's not a bad thing if he looks like her and her family. I'm, I'm good with that. I am. Uh, my, my mother-in-law one time, when she lived in East Texas, had a display of all of her children and grandchildren on the, on the refrigerator. You all know what I'm talking about? It's there on the little tacky things, you know, the little little thing. You got all that there, and a lady was looking at it one day, a visitor in her home, and she said, my, you guys don't let ugly people into your family, do you? Obviously, she was not looking at my photograph when she said that. But, you know, you want your grandchildren to reflect the likeness of their heritage, don't you? And you look hard to see that reflection in your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren our Heavenly Father looks at us and he wants to see the reflection of his son Jesus when he sees us and he's looking sometimes very hard to see are they reflecting the essence and the nature of my son Jesus because that's his desire for us but that desire is not fulfilled until we physically die for one of these days the trumpet of God will blow and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and will be forever with the Lord and when we experience death we are instantly transformed in essence and in the nature of Jesus and until then there is a struggle there is a war there is a battle going on isn't there That's ongoing And isn't complete Until you die And the next time you attend a funeral And you see a loved one Or a friend or a family member there Think, man They're finally Finally In essence and in nature Completely like Jesus Because their battle is over Their struggle is gone The war has been finished And they have been transformed Into the likeness of the essence and in the nature of Jesus. So until then, move on. As long as you have breath, you are to make progress. But when you take your final breath, it's over. Number four, we need to understand that sanctification is a process throughout life. It is a process that is ongoing throughout life. It is ongoing. In other words, it is continual the apostle Paul I think too was helping us understand that perfectionism will never be a reality in this life there are some in the Christian circle in the Christian world today and I would contend if they're Christians or not because they they might try to persuade us or teach us or convince us that you can live your life sinless on earth it's not reality I don't know where they get that. There's a couple of scriptures they distort in order to to prove their their case when they seek to propagate this false narrative of the gospel. But it's not accurate. Perfectionism is not possible. Matthew, when he was a little baby, we had a little inscription on the wall, and I think I've used this before. It's a little a little uh, uh, stenciling, and it said, "Please be perfect." No, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. God's not finished with us. We've not reached the state of perfection. We've not reached Christ's likeness. That only comes when we breathe our last breath and we die. And until then, you will never become perfect. And this process of sanctification is a lifelong process that is ongoing, it's lifelong. For he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. We dealt with justification last week. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The ultimate end of this work of sanctification is glorification. That happens after this life. The ultimate work of sanctification is you are glorified. You will receive your glorified body when you get to heaven. And not until then, you will not be perfect. No matter how hard you strive or how hard you work or how many no's you say to temptation and how many battles you overcome and how many demons you may fight and how many struggles you may have, you will never be perfect. I already told you once, there was a guy in seminary once told me that there was three, he's been three weeks now without committing sin. In was a seminary as we were studying through 1 John and I just, I just shook my head and walked away in complete disgust because I, I, I feared the, the pulpit that this guy may stand in at some point. I hope he didn't survive, seriously. Because that kind of, it, it's just not correct, biblically. Perfection is not attainable. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed. That being transformed is a verb that is in the present tense and it is passive we are being transformed it is progressive and it is passive and is present but notice philippians 2 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation you ever read that and wondered what does this mean to work out my own salvation anybody ever wondered what that means Work it out. What does it mean to work it out? It doesn't mean to work for your salvation. Because salvation is not by works, The any man should boast, right? So you're not working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation. What does it mean to work out your salvation? To work toward your sanctification. To work toward your sanctification. It's going to take work on your part, fulfilling your responsibility in order to progress in sanctification. You are to work it out. And it's a process that develops throughout your life. It is not something that all of a sudden it is once done and you are then perfect. It's not going to happen. I hate to use my grandson as a story again, but I'm going to use it anyway. This, he's learning how to walk. He's one. He's not quite one yet in a couple of days. I don't know if he's advanced or if he's delayed. I want to say he's advanced because he's my grandson. Very highly intelligent young man, incredibly advanced for his age, but he's learning to walk. And, and, and he's, he's holding on to something, and he's, you know, to the next thing. And he holds on. And then halfway down there, he flops sometimes. He doesn't make it. And when he makes the other side of it, yay! You know, We're encouraging him, and he looks like, I did something awesome, and I have no idea what it is. But he's trying to learn how to walk. It is natural for children, isn't it? To learn to walk on their own to feed. And pretty soon he'll be running through the halls of the house. And tripping up and falling. But it's a process that only he can work it out. No one can do it for him. God gives him the instinctive, intuitive ability to do it. But he must work it out. He's got to work out this whole walking thing. And until he works it out, it won't happen. And so I think that's kind of the concept here. of Work out your sanctification. You're going you're gonna to be doing this. And you're going to trip and fall. And sometimes you're going to sit because you're going to be afraid you're going to fall. But eventually, eventually, if you keep at it long enough, you're going to be able to walk from here to there and from here to there and from here to there. And you're going to make progress. And becoming more and more like Christ And it's a process that you work out Throughout your whole life And lastly It is a partnership Or a participation with God I like the word partnership Better than participates with God So put in partnership With God Sanctification is a partnership It's you and God together God didn't ask you to do this on your own He comes alongside you He comes in you and empowers you to do that. Romans 6:22. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. The fruit you get is something that you get and what you get is fruit and I'm reminded of Galatians 5 where it talks about the fruit of the spirit although the apostle here through the spirit doesn't identify what kind of fruit I have a tendency to believe this is the fruit of righteousness that's the result of the spiritual work the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you resulting then in a fruit that yields righteousness the fruit of the spirit because he mentions in Romans 8 this whole working inner working of the spirit of God and the heart of the believer in order to yield this fruit called righteousness god is working in you to yield the fruit of righteousness to conform you into the likeness of god he didn't just say i want you to be this be like jesus now go for it you're on your own He enables us and empowers us with this incredible person called the Holy Spirit that he endows to us at the moment of our conversion, at the moment of our salvation, when he breathes his breath and we are born again, we receive the person of the Holy Spirit that is a permanent presence in our lives that helps us then yield the fruit of righteousness as we yield to the power and control of the Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live how do you say no to the cravings to the these, these deeds these these tendencies that you have towards sin the power of the holy Spirit it's a partnership the spirit of God infuses his will and his strength and his energy in you Romans 6:12 he says You know, it's a joint effort. He says to them, "You may have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, but he says in the in the next verse in Romans six twelve, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Let not sin therefore reign. Sin can still reign in the heart in the life of a believer. We're not to let it reign. It'll grab a foothold. It'll grab a stronghold." It will shackle you and enslave you and dominate you and rob you of your freedom if you let it. That's why he says, let not therefore sin. That's your responsibility. God's empowered you and endowed you with the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now as you yield to him, you can be set free. You can break the chains. But you must tap into that person, that power. He's not going to just do it for you. He gives us a responsibility, and he holds us accountable as well. Let not sin therefore reign in your bodies to make you obey its passion. Do not, that's me, that's you, that's us who are in Christ, do not present your members as sin, as instruments of righteousness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That is our presenting ourselves. That is we are joining God in the work of sanctification interesting now in Philippians 2.12 the apostle Paul in this last verse sort of culminates this whole concept of God's part and our part he mentions our part first and then God's part in verse 12 of Philippians 2 he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed wow have you always obeyed (laughs) Uh, not me this wasn't obviously written to me but he said therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Notice he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's our part? We're to work out our own salvation. We are to work it out. It's our responsibility to work it out. To be accountable and responsible to work it out, to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and to the person of the Holy Spirit as he, as he whispers into our, into our minds and our hearts, don't go there. Don't look there. And he open the Bible and he says, change this, stop this, implement this, obey this, follow this, go here, go there, don't go there. And as we work it out, as we yield to the, to the leadership of the Lord, we do it with fear and trembling. And I think in a, in a nutshell, just to save us some time, that means honesty and humility. Because if, if you respect God the way you should, you'd be honest with him about, about areas in your life that need working and need tweaking. Because you respect God enough. And you're humble enough to know, you know, I've not yet arrived, God. I look awful pious on Sunday morning and pretend to have it all put together, but you know deep down in my heart I don't. And notice God's part, for it is God who works in you. I like that, for it is God. Who who is he? God. God. Who is God? Almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, reigning and ruling on the throne, who dictates and determines everything. All of God works in you. It is God who works, not just you, but God is working in you. In you he is working. How's he working? To will. You ever got up some morning and said, I just don't want to go to church on Sunday morning? Obviously, there are some who didn't want to come to church this morning. I don't want to go. God helped my will. I don't will it. I don't want it. And God comes in and He fuses and empowers us through the person, the power of the Holy Spirit, to will, to want, to desire the things of God. That should be our first prayer. God, work in me to desire the things that you want in my life. Because flat out sometimes I think we are so selfish and self is on the throne that we desire things that God doesn't even want for us. And God's got to change our will. He's got to change our desires, our want-tos. And he's working in you to will and then to work. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people today allergic to work. They're looking to the government to, to do everything for them. Vote for Bernie Sanders and you'll have free college. Wow, where was he when I was going to school? Holy cow. Does that mean he's going to pay off my daughter's I'm still paying for my daughter's college She's been out for seven years now The interest rate's so low I don't want to pay it off It helps in my tax deductions at the end of the year as well So I'm still kind of riding on that a little bit There's a confession I shouldn't sell you But anyway, what the heck We just don't want to work I'm going to have to do some work Oh, man, that doesn't sound good, does it? I'm going to have to yield? I'm going to have to have some disciplines? I don't really want to do that. Okay, God, let's (laughs) work with my will first. (laughs) I don't want to go to DU. You ought to go to Discipleship University. You ought to be in the disciplines class that, that they're teaching. I put on Facebook the other day something interesting about a lady who said, this is why your children should sometimes go into the to the big churches, because, you know, it's good for them, and they don't want to go. And she said, well, sometimes I don't want to read my Bible, but when I get up and I start reading my Bible, my will changes, and the Holy Spirit encounters me, and things begin to take life, and, and everything, you know, you know. You know what I'm talking about? If we only operated on what we desired and felt like we could do, I mean, it's not how marriage works, is it? I've never considered divorce, but Patty's considered homicide several times. I'm trying to lose a couple of pounds, and I've shared that with you already. I'm not as disciplined as Brother David over here. He's Mr. Buff over here. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, he's got some big old guns. I, I see him over there, David. But, uh, you know, exercise, I, I played years of sports, years. And, and I, I'm not much of a person who just runs. I like to bounce a ball or kick a ball or do something. I, I like to do something. I, you know, running was never just, it just running. And then I started running for a long time, and I ran about 60 miles a week and could eat anything, was really skinny. But I, I don't do that anymore, have you noticed? And so I'm trying to get back on the wagon and trying to get back in the exercise thing. And it's been about a year. I had a little knee problem here, and it got really big at one point. I had to get off the treadmill for about six months. And now I'm back on the treadmill and trying to get back into it. And it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I'm going, you know, I'm I'm on seven level, and I'm only going 30 pace. And and I'm just sweating, you know, and it's just pouring down. And I'm going... You wuss, you wimp, what's the matter with you? I mean, I used to go nine, and I mean, when I came here nine years ago, I was doing, you know, level 10 at about, you know, I don't know, three and a half miles an hour and just kind of cranking it out. And I was doing 150 setups every day, and I looked pretty good, you know. And then after I got here, I got fat. I'm not sure what that says about you. But anyway, <laughs> or what it says about me. But I'm trying to get back on, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a lifetime discipline. You, you can't just get in shape while I'm in shape and just stop. Why is that? You get out of shape. And as we grow older, being in shape is more critical. Right? Right. But I don't care what age you're in, being spiritually in shape is, is critical to your advancing, and and it's going to take work, and it's going to take sweat, and it's going to take discipline, and it's going to be hard, and there are going to be battles, and there are going to be trials, and there's going to be enemies, and there's going to be adversity, and there's going to be, I don't want to do this anymore, and I am tired, and I don't see much progress, and I don't understand why. And you come up with all these these things. You know what I'm talking about? And you just go, I'm done. we gotta work and I'm reminded about that old song we don't sing anymore we'll work till till Jesus comes or until I breathe my last breath it's gonna take work but praise God (laughs) he gives me the energy the enablement through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, to come alongside you and me at just the right time to help us get to where God wants us to go. So as we close. Here's a couple of interesting questions. Having placed your faith in Christ as Lord, God has already initiated his work of sanctification. Are you fulfilling your responsibility? No one's going to do that for you. God's not just going to zap you and all of a sudden you're going to be transformed into, light, into the likeness of Christ in this life. It'll happen after this life, but wouldn't it be great to make some progress before you get there? Wouldn't it? Isn't that what God intended for us? Isn't that the objective and, and the, the outcome that God wants for us? And so we must fulfill our responsibility. Are you fulfilling your responsibility to get there? Number two. Although complete satisfaction will never reach sanctification will never reach maturity or completion while in this life, has it grown in you? When you look back a year ago, are you more like Jesus today today than you were a year ago? Or you become stale and stagnant and settled and complacent and indifferent and lazy. Are you growing? Are you moving? Are you progressing? Number three, because freedom from sin and sanctification only begins with salvation, are you sure you have saving faith in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? I'm going to say there are a lot of people that are trying to be sanctified that haven't been saved. And they're frustrated Oh they've said a little prayer And they've been told that little prayer saves them But they didn't really know who Jesus was And they didn't really know what he did But they just said a little prayer And now they're on their way They sit in church Sunday after Sunday being told how they can be sanctified, and they're trying, and they're trying, and they're trying, and they're frustrated, and they're unhappy, and everyone around them is frustrated and unhappy, and just there's no, no, no change, there's no transformation. They're not moving and progressing into the likeness of Christ. It's just the same old, same old. And well, you know, I just people are just going to have to put up with me. I'm, I'm just this way. I'm just this way. I'm angry all the time, so just put up with it. No. Well, cuss words just fly out of my mouth, so just put up a no. I act like a jerk when I get behind the car, and other just going to have to no. If you're a Christ follower, that's not the option. There's a transformation and there's a change, and we must reflect the likeness of Christ more and more every day. We just don't tolerate and put up with things in our lives that don't reflect the likeness and the image of Christ. We seek out the enablement and the empowerment of the Spirit of God, and we yield to that, and there should be a transformation to look more and more like Christ each and every day. And maybe you're frustrated, and maybe you're you're not making progress because you don't have saving faith. I've known pastors, I've known staff members, I've known Sunday school teachers, I've seen deacons finally wake up to the reality I was never truly saved. Being honest and being humble enough to seek saving faith is better in this life because after this life there is no more opportunity.
1: Let's
0: pray.